Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is David Peck. Before we get to David, I have a few announcements to make. And first and foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. See articles that I've written. See articles that some of the guests have written. See links to our social media. See links to the guests' social media. And our social media is Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook. There's links to all that on our webpage. You can also find links to Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts. Podcast where you can subscribe to this show. And if you do that, I ask you to please give us a good rating. That helps more people find the show. It boosts our presence, and that's a cool thing for you to do. If you think you'd be good for the show, maybe you know somebody else would be good for the show, well, then write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That is TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Okay, David Peck is someone who I got introduced to by my friend Matt DeSero, who was a former guest of the show. Matt is a very talented magician who I worked with on one of the cruise ships. And Matt is a Toronto guy, and he said, you got to talk to my fellow Toronto person, David Peck. And David's an interesting guy. He's a lot of things. He's an author, he's a podcaster, he's a philosopher, and a magician himself, a renaissance man, if you will. He's also a very nice guy who's got a cool view of the world, and he's been around a lot. So he's a real interesting guy to talk to, and I know uh, if you listen to the show, you know what I think of Skype interviews. I'm not a fan, but nevertheless, we had a good chat. He was in Toronto, I was in LA, and I got Canada on the brain right now because I am recording this intro right now in my cabin on the east coast of Canada. I'm doing the Montreal to Boston route on the Holland America Zondam, so I'm seeing a lot of Canada. Montreal, Quebec City, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia. I'm getting my fill. I'm eating poutine. I'm throwing loonies and toonies around like a madman. I'm caring about hockey more than I should. I'm going full Canada. And why not? I love Canada and I love Canadians, so it was always nice to meet more of them. So please enjoy my conversation with Toronto's own David Peck. David Peck. Yes, how that, are you, that sir? Is, I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm all right. So uh, you are in Toronto, I'm guessing. Yeah, I live just outside. I grew up in Toronto. Lived just outside uh, in in a town called North Oakville. You wouldn't but know it from listening to you. Close, close, close. <laughs> well, we're we're digitally close, Mike. <laughs> no, I meant your accent. I have a friend in Guelph. Ontario, oh, okay. And yep. you kind of sound like him. Oh well, there you go. I studied. I studied. Uh, did a master's degree in philosophy at the University of Guelph. It's a. It's a great little town. A lot of great little restaurants and pubs, and uh, real, really cool, cool little community. Well, you and I are speaking for the first time, so why don't you tell me and everybody listening uh, what is your travel-related uh, business? What is your history, and why the heck are we talking to you? 
Yeah, I, I guess we're going to figure that out as we go, I suppose, <laughs> right? Why, why we're actually having a conversation. I think that's the beauty of, of building relationships with, uh, with people. I think it's one of the, the coolest things uh, about, about traveling, actually, and, and connecting with people that you just – you don't even know who, who, who it is uh, that you're going to meet, you know, that day and, and where it's going to go. I, I just returned uh, from Southeast Asia. I was in Cambodia for two weeks. I was in Thailand for a couple of days in Hong Kong, and I'm getting on the on the bus out to the tarmac, out to out to the flight to to uh, Phuket Airport, and a guy looks at me and, hey, "Are you American?" You know, that's obviously you know. You, yeah, I'm that, sorry, that, you that, get that all the time. I, sure. We do. It's you know, frankly, <laughs> quite quite an uh, assumption to make. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, no, we're, we're we're from Canada, and so immediately we have a chat. We have a, we have a mutual contact, and so of course we hit it off. Cut to me blocking the uh, the aisle in the plane as I'm chatting to him leaning over his seat. I mean, it's just, it's, isn't it wonderful how, how it really, it's just, it's a question, it's a comment, it's a smile that can open up a door to some, somebody that you've never met before. Um, so, so I'm a podcaster. I work in international development. I, I'm a philosopher. I do magic as well. Sleight of hand magic. I, I've got quite an eclectic CV, Mike. I, and I think that that might be how you and I sort of were connected yes, through, through, through uh, Matthew uh, DeSero. Matt DeSero. Uh, that's who right. I worked with on a cruise ship. He's a magician that I, he, and he's also been on the show. And uh, he gave me your name and he said, You got to talk to a friend of mine and so, because so, he knows you get around. Basically. That's right. I do, in fact, get around. I've, I've, I've done a lot of traveling over the years, mostly to do with my work. But thankfully, you know, I for, was fortunate to grow up in a home where by the time I guess I was about 12, I'd been to the UK three times, did a little sort of tour, a five-country tour through Europe, and was, you know, was introduced to, to other people, other places, other things. And I think it, it uh, you know, opened up some doors for me, opened up my mind a little bit to that uh, just I don't know. It's a. It's just. It's such a gift, really. It's yeah. a pain in the neck too. I find. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I, I I don't actually eat airline food anymore. I'm a bit. I become a bit of a snob. So, um, I'll bring I'll bring things with me, and and I mean it's got to be real. Like I won't turn down the Haagen Dazs ice cream. No, I'll, I'll be on right. I'm I'm not going to turn that down. But the pork fried rice. Yeah, yeah, I just can't do it, Mike. Did you have one bad experience that turned you off forever? <laughs> You know, I'm convinced. So I have this theory that all airline meals are made in the same kitchen. You you may not be wrong. Yeah, there's like this one massive kitchen yeah. somewhere, and it's probably like in Aramark where, where was your, services or something. Yeah, where was your dad from? New Jersey. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's there. It's probably and yeah, and it's like a lot of stainless steel and a lot of hairnets, <laughs> and and they're just shipping out these meals all over the world. Anyway, I just yeah, it wasn't that I I reacted. I just it was you know taste. It was taste. It was this just taste. I was on a 15 hour flight to Hong Kong. This tasted like the last meal I just ate. Yeah, you know what. I'm done. I, I can I can wait till I'm on the ground. Thanks very much. So, what do you bring? What do you bring on that doesn't stink up the uh, fuselage of the plane? That's right. Yeah. Well, I, for a little while, I was bringing my own noodles until I realized that they actually pack those as well. So you can just go back to the galley and get your own sort of hot noodles, the ninety-nine cent cup of noodle. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, bring a bring a lot of uh, you know made good bars or Cliff bars, a bag of cashew nuts, uh, yeah. probably probably a tin of Pringles, um, <laughs> couple always a couple bottles of water. You don't want to be caught without that. You can't assume. We were on a flight this trip, and I'm not going to call out the airline, but they didn't even offer. It's a glass of water. I mean, I, dehydration is pretty 
it's 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 a problem on flights. And, yeah, water and, is the minimum. You get. I mean, I come mean, on, you know, like at least uh, can I cut my hands together and you pour it in my hands? At come least? on, was I it mean, Air Canada? Say if it was Air it, Canada. No, it wasn't Air Canada. Actually, no. <laughs> I'm flying no, them wasn't. in uh, in a couple of days. I'm going to Montreal. Oh wow! Wow, Montreal's a great city. I live I lived uh, there as a kid for two years, and uh, not I didn't actually live right downtown on on St. Catherine Street, but but uh, grew up and in and around. It was in the seventies. Uh, the FLQ crisis. Do you know what that is? Do, no. Do, do, Oh, come on. You got to study your Canadian history. Okay, I uh, will. Well, I'm going <laughs> right before I get to Montreal, I'll study up. There you go. There you go. Look up the FLQ and Pierre Laporte. I was in Montreal for that. It was a, it was it was actually the, maybe the only time martial law was called out in in Canada um for for a few days. Anyway, it's uh, a, a a little bit of, a little bit of Canadian history for you. It's kind what, of exciting. What were they protesting? Well, it was. Uh, it actually gets. There's a reference to Alan Rickman in Die Hard references the FLQ. I don't know if you remember that, where sure. he's on the phone with the FBI. Hans and Gruber. He, that's right, our good friend Hans. And uh, shoot the gloss. And um, anyway, so he he calls out the FLQ. They they were. Um, you know what? I don't know Canadian history either, Mike. So I oh, can't see, help you. Mr. Big Shot. You get. I for know. I know. It's uh, it's 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 a challenge to to, <laughs> to get the, to get my facts right on this one. But it was it was the closest thing, really, in truth, to uh, uh, I guess uh, an what would you call it a, a national sort of um, group of terrorists that were yeah. that were really in truth fighting back and so there was a few bombs planted a couple of people died it was it was around it was around the whole separatist movement yeah. and and uh um which which gained a fair bit of traction in the 70s and the early 80s and René Levesque and so on and it's quite fascinating at how some of that is is still very much uh, around, or at least that sort of that sentiment. I mean, I haven't I haven't really spoken to many people in that area in a long time, so I don't really know how deep that still goes. But but mm-hmm. definitely still still in the air for sure. Were you in Montreal during the Olympics in '76? Um, so uh, I would not have been. So that would have come just about. Uh, so I was. I was there in 70, uh, probably 72 to 74, something okay. like that. So yeah. when yeah. you say. So just, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, just so just predated the Olympics. When you say you're a philosopher, mm-hmm. uh, I don't get that response too much on this show, <laughs> as you can imagine. Good. So, does yeah, that mean glad to hear. You uh, you teach you uh, you write books. What what does being a philosopher mean? Yeah, so so a little bit of both, I guess. I mean, I'm not really teaching formally right now, but yeah, I've, I've certainly taught philosophy at the undergraduate level, and I was teaching in, in international development as well for about eight years at Humber College here here in Toronto, um, and and that kind of is was what I did some of my postgraduate work in. So I finished my master's degree in philosophy. I studied epistemology, which is knowledge, and, and looked at the implications of that and, and got into you know some modern existential thought and 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 was not only fascinated by it but really saw the practical implications behind it as well it's not you know it's not just an academic exercise and so i was sort of hoping and uh waiting to see if i would get into a phd program and i didn't that year and i came across this ad and honestly here's i mean talk about travel and 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 implications but so you want to change the world was the ad it was in Udney reader don't even know if the magazine exists anymore i remember that one 
Yeah, Gray Magazine. It was like a like a like a collection of great articles, you know, art and social justice. And I so had on. an uncle that he'd subscribe to the Utney Reader and Mother Jones. Remember Mother, Mother Jones? Jones? Yeah, <laughs> Same yeah, kind for of sure. Deal. Same kind of deal, exactly <laughs> right. And I honestly, no joke, uh, you're not going to believe me, but I, I saw the ad while I was on a cruise. Oh, God. and I mean, I mean, talk about the travel connections and got home, uh, you know, to Toronto and, and, and honestly, within a few hours of being home, called the number on, on this advertisement and, and, um, three days later was having coffee with the director of the program. I apply, I'm in, I do a year, uh, in postgraduate work in international development. And, and, uh, that was about 15 years ago. So I became a consultant, started my own, uh, company called So Change and, that's where sort of the travel began, but to connect it all to 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 teaching, uh, what what was really driving it was was I guess my philosophical edge, my desire to know, my desire to ask sort of better questions, and what a, what a great primer for traveling the world. You know, I've probably been in about forty five countries uh, in the last I guess twenty five years or so, and you really do want to be able to ask some good questions. Yeah. <laughs> So you what know? are you doing when you get to these places? Are you just showing up in a robe and saying, I'm here to that's, that's philosophize? Right. That's right. I'm here to it's give a, you philosophy. It's Yes, you should see my, my, my closet full of robes. It's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a bit over the top. Plato uh, walking around. That's right. Yes. Um, so most most of the travel has has been connected to international development. So okay. projects related to water and sanitation. One of the first projects that I worked on was funded by the Canadian government, and I remember it quite affectionately because one of my instructors told me it would never get funded, and uh, we did get funded. And it was a literacy, an informal literacy project uh, outside of Ulaanbaatar in in Mongolia. And so I ended up. Who knew uh, Dave Peck was going to actually end up in Mongolia? So so I've been there a few times over the years, uh, coming alongside an, an NGO, uh, international NGO out of Hong Kong that had a, a, a national office in, in Ulaanbaatar and was working remotely. And, and I've traveled across the Gobi Desert, and, and it's just it's just remarkable the places I've been able to, to to get to and the people that I've been able to meet. And and as a result of of the work that I've been doing, and so out of out of that project, kind of came this idea for you know I don't I don't need to start another NGO but maybe what I could do is start a small business that could help NGOs so I can help them raise money I can help write proposals and so on and so as a result of that I created this thing called so change and um yeah, and and started working with many different NGOs. Any anyone who would who would who would pay a fee, and and even those who didn't pay a fee, I right. worked with. So it's yeah, it's uh, it's not really a money making business. It's <laughs> kind of like kind of like the entertainment sector, I guess, to some degree, unless yeah, unless well, you hit it unless you hit it big. Exactly. So if uh, well, we'll start with Mongolia then. What uh, you're still dealing with China and the Chinese government, I'm assuming. Uh, what did they think of this big Canadian dude just going there and sticking his uh, nose where maybe they didn't belong? Were you trying to give them water, or what was the point of going there? So, so this project was a, a literacy project. It was to f- to to informally educate three and and I believe me, I remember the details. Three hundred and seventy three boys and girls. And the reason I say boys and girls is because the Canadian government had us change the language from three hundred and seventy three children. They wanted us to you know to distinguish. You know, no, this is the boys and girls that you're going to be you're going to be teaching through this. And so what 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 happened is uh, the government uh, I 
$393,000 over two years to, to build capacity, to train some teachers, to to not just teach English to students. In fact, on the contrary, it was mostly to to um, mostly rooted in 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 um, in the local languages and in the local schools. And so, yeah, uh, I wasn't really doing that work, but I was the guy who helped to put the the project together. I worked alongside this office, and we had a translator, and we tried to take their hopes and aspirations and dreams and put them onto paper. That was then submitted to to CETA back at the time, the Canadian International Development Agency, and then six months later you find out that you got the funding and now you're like wow we we now now we have to implement and so uh it wasn't water although that was that was something uh, a big big need as well uh in in uh in re- certainly in remote villages um i mean mongolia was nothing i mean it just it was so not what i thought it was going to be you know i think people have uh, a very romantic notion of you know the gur communities and and the desert itself and i mean it's a beautiful space but it's it's it i, I didn't like it the first time i was there mike i mean i i actually kind of went what have what have i done what have what what have i gotten myself into here <laughs> do you mean in the I fact have- that it was just so um the infrastructure was not there in terms of yeah. power and everything else or was there a political yeah, attitude a, that didn't yeah, jibe? Yeah, I think politics. I mean, I, I've got a great photo that I should send you. It's hilarious. It's pre-cell pre, uh, pre phone camera, and it's a shot of me standing, this small person with, I think I got a bag over my shoulder, and the burned-out Communist Party headquarters behind me. I mean, speaking <laughs> of, you know, everything's connected. Martial law had been imposed. I missed it by, like, five days. and It was it was really troubling what had gone down in, in the city. And uh, yeah, so I think it was just that post-communist, communistic feel. It was just so different than anything I had ever been to. Uh, you know, UK, Belgium, Holland. You know, I'd been through European countries. I'd been uh, through the States and into a couple Caribbean, uh, you know, um, uh, resorts. And yeah, so that well, that was sort of exactly uh, Mongolia. Really, is not. I'm not. I don't want people to think it's a hard place to get to or to 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 hang out in because it's not but it was a bit of a shock to assist to my system it was and and one of the interesting things just to 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 speak to your question a little bit too is uh, the first thing i one of the first things i remember other than the parts of airplanes that lined the runway as we landed it was pretty (laughs) it was like what like a scene out of lord of war that's what i remember anyway it wasn't that extreme by any means but but this was uh, a pretty interesting little airport um as i came off you know the down the runway or with the with the walkway signs up for Canadian mining companies Ivanhoe and a few others, and and uh, it's just really interesting comment on 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 globalization and and the influence that corporate uh, entities have and Canadian you know governments have in 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 other countries. Well, and and you know it's just it's pretty fascinating. Well, I just came back from uh, Africa. I was in Uganda, Rwanda. Wow, Ethiopia and uh, Zimbabwe. I, so I've been to Rwanda. We, we we need to chat. Okay, we are chatting. This is good. It uh, is good. The uh, so I did notice that in all those countries, and something I've noticed for the last you know ten years or something since I've been going to Africa, is that um, every construction site was Chinese. Mm. Um, and they're just been buying up Africa, lock, stock, and barrel for the last twenty years. And when you talk about globalization, you've been doing this long enough where you've seen the Chinese tiger, as they say, you know, just spread out everywhere. 
Are you starting to see their influence all over as well? I mean, not just in Africa, but... Well, I, that, so so we just returned uh, two 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 weeks in Cambodia, and I've been I've been traveling to Cambodia for uh, I guess about fourteen years now. So I I wish I had a photo of the cityscape from two thousand and three uh, to compare with today, and I'm sure there probably exists somewhere online, I would imagine, or in in some photo album around the world. But you would not believe the panoramic view from then and now. And a lot of that, uh, from my understanding, is is Chinese investment right. and it's con- and it's condominiums. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about just these magnificent, um, g- gigantic. Have you been to Singapore? Yeah. Sing- Singapore, you know, be- these beautiful condos with their own pools and rooftop pools and restaurants and little. They're like mini cities, right? Well, yeah. this is popping up in Cambodia, one of the poorest countries in the world. I mean, you know, a very small middle class. Who and you know, and my question this trip was who's who's buying these condominiums? We're asking the same thing in uh, L.A. and all the way up the West Coast. You know, it's it's so much Chinese money that you it's know it's fascinating. Completely, it's completely changed Vancouver. And, well, you know, exactly, exactly, and everywhere else, you know, so. exactly right. And the and the phrase money laundering comes up quite a bit. Oh, I don't, yeah. I, you know, I I don't pretend to understand uh, that 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 part of the financial world, but but that certainly came up on this last trip. Uh, I I mean, you know, it's interesting because there's 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 globalization, capital G and small G, right? And and I think that there's there's pros and cons. And and I did ask a couple of local Khmer folk, you know, is it, what do you think? Uh, you know, are, is this investment, is all this construction and development going to benefit Cambodia ultimately? You know, that trickle down theory, right? It's eventually going to get to the people that that the most of the folks that that really need it. And it, pretty pretty negative response for the most part. I mean, this was not an empirical study that I did, but but I'll tell you, the sentiment is is not great yeah. uh, at at a, at, a, at a grassroots kind of rural level. Well, one of the drivers I had in um, in Ethiopia was saying how uh, they did pass a law finally that these construction sites had to hire local workers. Mm. I mean, if they want their engineers and you know, architects and stuff to be Chinese, that's one thing. But, you know, the, the guys on the site at least give us jobs there, you know, because right. they were bringing in these armies of workers as well and, and just going, what are we getting out of this? We can't afford to live in the place, and we're not even getting work building it. Right. <laughs> so the money's one, going somewhere, but well, exactly, it's going somewhere. I, it's yeah. So it's a it's a it's a double edged sword, at least uh, if not more. Um, so my tuk tuk driver, Mister One, I've known for six seven years in in Siem Reap, and wonderful guy. Um, I like that um, you have a personal tuk tuk driver in Siem. I, I, I love I that love. too, and, and Mister One too. Like I mean, Mr. come on, something. I mean. Mr. Yeah, Mr. that's great. So, so I meet him, and this is just the beauty. This is the beauty of travel, and I think you know why you need to sort of embrace it and be as inclusive as as you possibly can. But anyway, I walk out of the hotel, the Anchor Paradise Villa, uh, you know, uh, and 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 there's Mr. One, and I work out a deal, and seven years later, I'm still giving the guy business, and it's <laughs> it's wonderful. And and this most recent trip, uh, my family was with me, and they get to meet Mr. One, and we have dinner together, and I mean, isn't it wonderful? Right, so so that is a benefit of globalization, it seems to me, and and I, it's really important to me that I stay sort of committed to, you know, those guys, whoever right. they are, right? And he's and he wisely has stayed in touch with me through Facebook and so sure. on. Anyway, it's easy to my, do now. 
Exactly. My point being that uh, is that you know he he would say I'm getting one or two fares a day at this big hotel. Mister One, what are you talking about? There's three or four hundred people. It's a huge hotel. Well, it's owned by by a, a, a Korean uh, land developer. It was built by a Korean uh, construction company. Korean buses bring Koreans to the to the hotel they go to korean restaurants and so on and it's really interesting something i've certainly never thought about before uh and i don't know if that's happening in other countries around the world but you 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 know it's that's that's pretty what would you what would you call that insulated development i don't even know but i'm sure there's some sort of economic term for it so you got to wonder how much of that money is actually making it into local khmer hands And 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 is that necessarily a bad thing? I mean, I I don't know. I guess I suppose there are, there are probably urban planners around that will tell you, no, no, this is a good thing, and it's going to benefit the country this way and that way. But but boy, it sure didn't didn't look like it to me. Yeah. You know. Well, let's um, get back to it, uh, Rwanda since we both. Yeah, there. yeah. Tell, I was amazed me. at. Uh, well, I went down there for the gorilla trekking, and uh, so I went. Right. That's why we I were on a tour there. So we did two treks R- in you, Uganda. Were, was that up in? Were you in Rohing? Is it Rohingari province? Yeah, we we're in Bawindi National Park in Uganda for the beautiful tracks, and then we did a golden monkey tracking and in, um, in Volcanoes National Park. Wow! And uh, but we were all amazed, me and my group, uh, at just how clean Rwanda was. I mean, for an African country, it was one of the cleanest I've ever been to, and the capital was surprisingly clean. We couldn't believe it. Yeah, um, Kigali's Kigali's a great. I, I love Rwanda. I I felt driving from Kigali to Rohingya along the DRC border there. I mean, to me, it was like Northern Ontario. It was just it was stunning, gorgeous, green, lush, yeah, right? Beautiful. It, it, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I love when your expectations are smashed like that too, right? Yeah, you 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 have this idea of, of of how something should be, and then and then you're just you're totally blown away. But do you how, have, how long how that? long were you there for? Uh, well, I was in the tour was about uh, eight days. Okay, and we stayed an extra day in Kigali, where I toured the um, the museum. Right, you know the genocide museum. And sure, yeah, that kind of thing. And then uh, we all split up, and then I went off on my own to uh, Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. That was three days down there, and then back up to. Ethiopia for three days. Wow. Wow. And, That's quite uh, a trip. Yeah. But if you're trying to do some development, uh, Zimbabwe could use you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah. The challenges that so many countries around the world face, eh? I, I, uh, I mean, this is part of the reason why I, I love travel as well, because it, it, it's just you can't pay for that kind of an education and why it was so important that uh, for, for my wife and I, Elizabeth, to get uh, Spencer and Victoria, our two kids, overseas to sort of see a little bit of what, what dad was up to. And, and thankfully, Elizabeth and I had been in Cambodia back in 2003 together. So we already had some history there. And she taught in Singapore for a year. And so we've got this kind of thread and we really wanted to, to say to our kids, let's, let's go and I can you know introduce you to some of the community that I've developed over there. But, but kind of more importantly, this is kind of how two thirds of the world live. Yeah. You know, well, and I we don't wonder. have, it's, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say it's, you know, it's about access and opportunity and, and it's, it's not quite like it is in North Oakville, Ontario, no. you know? Well, I wonder because, you know, I never left the country till I was uh, 21. Okay. So, you know, I was out of uh, university and everything else. So when I see these kids, you know, I met my uh, friends from high school in Sicily on my way back from Africa, and their kids have been, you know, they had 
they had smaller kids and they had been around a hell of a lot more than I ever was. But I just don't know how much they appreciate how lucky they are to be able to do it. Because kids don't know anything. They only know their own lives. They don't really know how to compare it. Right. But when if they go to a poor country like that, I don't know, how old are your kids? 11 and 13. Okay. Do they, do, can they process just how lucky they are? I mean, does it hit yeah, them in that way? It's a good question, and, and I think they will be able to answer that in five to seven years. Right. Honestly, I think that's the truth. Like, I think that they will reflect back on some of these situations, and they'll go, wow, n- now I get it. And I, that's not to say that they didn't get it. I mean, we got into rural Cambodia. There is no question. They got to see extreme poverty firsthand. Uh, we, we actually went on a house-building trip, which I would recommend. I mean, I, it's it, I'm not a huge fan of volunteerism, but I think that the idea of 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 coming alongside an organization and, and getting to meet some families that are in the middle of it that are, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it's helping to drill some wells. And in our case, it was just coming alongside. We had raised some money to help build some houses. It's an organization I've worked with for years. So there was already a relationship there. But they were able to see it sort of firsthand in a way that they they put faces to it. They put names to it. So, um, and we had some conversations about it back at the hotel and in the car rides. And and you just hope that it takes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And 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 this and my my hope is that the seeds are planted. That not that necessarily our kids are going to become international development work, workers or world travelers. I don't know. But 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 that it's 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 just about perspective for me and worldview and and. And I think to your point, um, you know, not taking things for granted, right? Yeah. So when you say you're not a fan of volunteerism, what do you mean by that? And like, what examples? Do you think it's exploitative or? I think it can be. I don't think it is. I think there's a, a movement right now that just says, you know, all volunteerism is bad. I mean, and 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 is not a good thing. And it's 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 Western. It's 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 white. It's it's about pointing fingers and and it's about feeling uh, better than and and uh, I'm coming with all the answers and I mean I think it can be all those things and I think often it is. Well you can say um, that about a lot of charities though. And Oh for sure you can. You know, yeah. Maybe most abs- of them. Absolutely you can say that about a lot of charities and I think I think you know to be to be a certainly uh, missionary work you could say that about too. Oh, I I think the idea of of stepping into somebody else's culture and coming with a, a book of 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 any kind and saying I, I I understand this and you don't is is deeply problematic and so I mean I think you know I have three things I used to say to my students in development you know three things you need to be a, a great development worker is you you need to be able to listen and you know, the second thing is you need to be able to listen and the third thing is you you really need to be able to listen and it's kind of connected to there's a there Matt would know this Matthew Desero would know this one of your friend of uh, your friend and, and, and former guests um you know Robert I think it was Robert Houdin who said you know three things you need to become a better magician you got to practice you got to practice you got to practice and i think the uh three best top rules in comedy uh edit right that's (laughs) that's it that's nice 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 there's about three layers to that joke isn't there yeah yeah there you go works (laughs) on a lot of levels yeah but so so anyway all that to say i think if you are if you find the right organization and you go in with a, an open mind and an open heart, and you're willing to listen and ask questions. I, I actually think the idea of, of of going into another country with with that kind of um, um, hmm. posture 
can actually be a, a really positive thing. I think it can be an experience that, I mean, life-changing to say the least. And, and, and like I said, you know, my kids will sort of know, I think Spencer and Victoria will know five, <laughs> three to five to seven years from now. I mean, I went on a trip. One of my first trips into Africa was Kenya, was with an organization. And, and, uh, and I spent four weeks. I was an electrician at the time. I was becoming an electrician. I was three years into my apprenticeship. We went on strike. Friend of a friend says, hey, you got to talk to this guy. The next thing I know, I'm raising funds to go on it. This is way before me to we existed. And um, I'm, I'm in uh, Eldorette for four weeks helping to build a medical clinic and doing the electrical work. I mean, talk about turning my world upside down uh, uh, in a good way, you know? I mean, some critics would look outside and go, oh yeah, volunteerism. Right. Bad yes. idea, right? Um, and and I'm, I'm not willing to say that, uh, but I, I just think you want to be careful. You want to ask some good questions, and, and you want to align yourself with, with the right organization. There's a guy I need to introduce you to, uh, Ryan Snyder. He's got, a, he's got a company called Socially Responsible Safaris, and, and they're going, I think, just, just last week I saw pictures of, of um, where you were up in the DRC with, with gorillas. And, and he's doing some really cool stuff in, in Kenya as well, Serengeti Desert, ballooning over it. Um, yeah, it's pre- pretty wild. So- Socially responsible safaris that's great so in a, in a world full of bad news and seemingly getting worse all the time um give me some give me some positive things you've seen around is there any uh, country that seems to be getting their act together and and improving hmm. a little better or is it all just a downer please is give, it us, all? give me something to it's, hang my hat on to please <laughs> that's right give me a, a thread a nugget something it it, it it sure sometimes can feel like, you know, when, I mean, I read what, BBC, CNN, the Al Jazeera, there's like three or four different CBC, there's maybe five different news channels I go to pretty much daily, not always, but pretty much. And they only, and, and, you know, the homepages are, as you know, are largely similar. And, and yeah. most of that news is kind of negative, right? I mean, it really is, but, but there are often, um, um, you know, those things that stand out, for instance. So we're in Cambodia. Uh, there's a, uh, anti, uh, there's a um, drug-resistant form of malaria coming off the – so you may have heard of it off the sort of the Thai, southwest Thai-Cambodia border. There was a dengue outbreak. Um, uh, you know, so I mean, these, are, these are all negative things. But when you start to look at some of what's going on from a malarial perspective, I mean, Bill Gates and his foundation, they've, the, 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 the Global Fund, I mean, they're, they're, they're making some significant headway. Way on actually coming up with uh, maybe even a vaccine uh, for malaria, which is unheard of, right? Because this is kind of like the flu, and it mutates. And these these little mosquitoes are bastards, man. They oh, really yeah. are. You know, they live for, animal in, on the planet. oh, it's just insane. As you know, you've traveled uh, mm-hmm. to know, and you've got to be so careful. I love. I, I don't know if you've ever. I was up in. I was up in, in eastern, uh, northeastern Cambodia once. Uh, Stong Trang was the name of the town. I'm in this little uh, hotel, and it was okay. It was comfy, but it was still a bit of a challenge. And I was on a bit of a bit of edge. And there was one mosquito in the room, and there was no way I was going to sleep with that mosquito. <laughs> Just no way was that happening. I already had the towel down by the door to keep the cockroaches out and the geckos. And uh, anyway, um, so I think there are some some really amazing things happening. I think you know from from just people being more aware of the environment. You know, here we are in in Thailand, and and just the the amount of the 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 headway. I think that rurally, even from a recycling perspective, that's happening. You know, a no smoking law was just sort of evo- invoked in in Cambodia. I mean, no. No one's paying attention to it yet, but <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. but but it's you know so so change is happening and and I think you just sometimes you just have to to, to turn the page and and look a little closer. Uh, it's just so easy to sort of acquiesce to the negative and to 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 the problems. Um, I think you know, and I think this is one of the beauties of the internet. I mean, there's a lot of problems with the internet, but I think the idea of sharing and the ability to create. Uh, and maintain contact with people like like my friend, uh, my dear friend, uh, Mr. One, the tuk-tuk driver who's trying to make a difference for his family and is building a business and is now helping his brother-in-law and he's sell, selling his tuk-tuk to his brother-in-law at a reduced price, complaining to me about it, but helping <laughs> his brother-in-law build his own business and he's going to go out and buy a, a new tuk tuk-tuk. And we're talking about six or seven hundred U.S. dollars, Mike, right? That's a lot of money for them. Uh, it's a it's a ton of money, right? In in parts of Cambodia, and so so yeah, lots to be to be negative about. So I think it's 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 about keeping those things in balance. So yep, you want you want to wake up in the morning and go, yep, the world's a mess. Uh, I got to do more about it. But hold on a minute, let's celebrate um, a few things today as well. And and it's important to surround yourself with people. I think uh, who who are kind of thinking, you know, in in, in similar ways. Right. It's speaking of. Uh Dengue fever and diseases. Have you ever caught anything overseas? Gotten really sick or had to go oh, to man. a foreign hospital? You know what? We should we should conference in Matt, Matthew DeSero right now because <laughs> we some of our greatest stories and and laughs have, have surrounded around you know health issues and, oh, no. and 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 scatological humor and so on. But yes, I have picked up a couple of bugs uh, that you know lasted several months, uh, and then I'm not a hundred percent sure about this, but but I'd like to think that it was the camelhead stew Ooh. in. Lagos, northern Lagos, uh, in Nigeria, uh, that I was uh, that I kind of tasted. Uh, I don't know that it was the stew. I think it was the sort of the bowl of water where everybody was, you know, dipping their hands. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I got a bug. Uh, and wait for it. Are you sitting down? Blastocystis, maybe is the name. Uh, it was never formally diagnosed, but it, it Mike, it was pretty bad. Um, and Matt would tell you. Uh, 24 30 about 36 months so what's that two 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 years and a bit i lost uh, i lost a lot of weight um i went through test after test and um yeah I developed a lactose intolerance it was it was bad news and you it was for two years two two years no joke oh. uh, stomach pain lactose intolerance couldn't eat certain foods uh, never diagnosed which was probably the most frustrating thing i saw immunologists i saw i mean it was crazy talk ultrasounds and, and all kinds of different tests and and um, i guess the positive side of it is that you know i got a pretty good checkup you know as a result of that but the really frustrating thing is never really found out what it was so what it's done for me now is i'm just uber careful right and to the point of probably being a little howard hughes like uh, um <laughs> well, that'll do and, it i mean and, oh man at least you know, and, you know well, exactly i mean you go and you, but the thing is you know you go on a short trip and 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 you do i suppose you know you're i'll never forget being in a in a in a small girl uh, uh home in in just outside of Ulaanbaatar in mongolia and this lady norji was her name didn't speak any English. I don't speak any Mongolian. And I was offered a cup of tea that I am not joking. I probably would still be sick if I sipped on, or at least that's what it looked like. It was probably fine. And she just beautifully, politely, and relationally reached over and took the cup and, and sipped on it. And, and that was the end of it. She knew 
that I couldn't handle the key. Uh, oh. She saw the look in my eyes, whatever it was. And 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 so so some people would say, Oh gee, David, you're gonna offend the family. Yes, I think that's a possibility, but at the same time, I've got seven to ten days to spend here and I can't spend it in bed, right? Yeah. And so there there has to and that's and that's the beauty oh Mike, that's what I love about travel is that Learning how to communicate cross-culturally. How do you how how do you take other people's uh, thinking into, into uh, consideration? How how do you do, how do you do how do you manage your your relationships wisely and well? And it's uh, yeah. Anyway, so yes is the short answer. Uh, um, but uh, finally, yeah. I, I mean, I think I'm still sort of dealing with some issues with with respect to that bug that I got. Uh, I guess about five years ago now. Oof, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, no, it's. Matt told the story of uh, him uh, crapping himself on stage. So, <laughs> of course, he did. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's one of his faves. One of his finer yes. moments. One of his finer moments. Yes. I worked with him once, and he ended up. Um, it was very funny because we were doing a. It was a high, a high school show during the day, uh, then sort of a fundraiser in the evening, and uh, he ended up. I was I was on the stage left, and he ended up getting a cramp in his foot. <laughs> Oh. And I, and I thought he was kidding, and he started to use some pretty foul language on stage, and I thought he was going to collapse. And I was on the side of the stage laughing because I thought he was just doing some kind of a bit, but in fact, he was he developed this really painful cramp. <laughs> oh, hysterical! One of those that you need to be there for. But uh, he was able to commiserate with the audience, and he he managed to uh, land the plane. Still, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, pretty pretty funny. Have you ever performed uh, uh, overseas or? Yeah, I, you know it's 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 a fun question. I I have done a little bit of magic. Uh, I have. I, I wish there were photos of it, but I've performed uh, magic off the back of a pickup truck in Eldoret, Kenya, and had a huge uh, group of people around. I remember just bringing you know three or four things with me: a pack of cards and some coins and a couple bits. And then I've done some magic in you know you know whatever in hong kong and singapore and so on but but in some rural communities in cambodia as well and it's uh yeah it's it's pretty cool i mean it's very different working in bare feet and 104 degrees um it's it's a bit of a challenge but um kind of kind of fun uh, definitely a unique experience. In fact, there is video somewhere of me doing card tricks for the Cambodian military up on the Thai-Cambodia border um, about two and a half, three years ago. A great, amazing, fun trip. They had a pack of cards and hysterical. I mean, I'm sure it was horrible. <laughs> and I hope it never makes it onto Instagram. But what a blast. What a great memory. And they were loving every minute of it. So it was, uh, yeah, pretty fun. There's many times I do envy magicians and well especially you musicians when you don't need you can you can perform in front of people who don't speak the language right you know right. i need english speakers or i'm dead you know, for comedy <laughs> i miss That's one right. word and the joke's gone you know so magic yeah, what's you kind a- of uh, you know it can be universal some magicians you can do acts without even speaking at all well, one of, one of the acts I did for years was was about uh, twelve and a half minutes long. It was alta music and yeah, uh, yeah silent vaudevillian and and classic classical kind of magic. Worked at a dinner theater in Toronto and 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 worked on the road for yeah quite a few years with it and never spoke a word. Oh. Um, I think I think magic. I mean comedy. I mean you would probably agree comedy is universal, right? Like the fart. I mean come on, the well, fart I is mean, fun in every language, right? <laughs> I like to. Th- well, I'm not I'm not doing you know fart sounds up there. <laughs> Right. Give me a little credit. That's right. The bulk of your act. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
But uh, so any other uh, run-ins with, uh, say, authorities, police, border patrol or government officials? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've never, I've never lost anything. I've never had anything stolen. Um, you know, people often ask about about your security and kidnapping. And, you know, no kidnappings. Um, I mean, I've had, I would say, some probably probably some close calls, some serious flooding uh, in Cambodia. The, the you know, just missing the martial law in in in, uh, in Mongolia. Um, you know, it's interesting. A couple of years, I was in. Bur- Burkina Faso working, and it's kind of sobering when things like this happen. This has got to be five, six years ago, and stayed in, in the capital city, Ouagadougou, by the way, which he got to love a place called Ouagadougou. I um, love it. I love that yeah. song. Yeah, I would go. I would go back to Burkina Faso any day. It was wonder, wonderful experience. And I know nothing uh, about that place. Yeah, and and anyway, stayed in a hotel, and that was the hotel that was uh, bombed a couple years ago by by I guess it was Al Qaeda. I can't remember exactly, but kind of sobering when you've eaten you know dinner there. You stayed there for three four nights, and uh, to see it on the news is um, you know um, um, quite quite uh, unsettling. And and just a good reminder to not take anything for granted. Um, been pulled over by the police a few times. That was uh, kind of interesting. Cambodia with a with a with a man who was uh, driving a standard, not his vehicle, no license. He was speeding, and wait for it, uh, he has a prosthetic leg. So um, <laughs> it was a classic. So he gets out of the car. Soon is his name. He gets out of the car. We're inside, and. Uh, 20 minutes, two cigarettes later, he gets back in the car and we drive away. Uh, he wa- the, the, they wanted 15 US dollars as a fine and soon wasn't going to pay it, knowing full well that I would have easily coughed up the 15 bucks just to get going. But, but there was no way he was going to talk his way out of it, and, and he did. So thankfully, no, not, nothing, nothing really to speak of, nothing that's going to make any headlines, that's for sure. <laughs> How about you? You've traveled a fair bit. Oh, sure. I mean, I've had, I've had, you know, speaking of Lagos, Nigeria, I was going through and they, they held me in a room because my, my layover was nine hours and they wouldn't let me just sit there. I said, oh, you need a day visa. It's too long. And so, well, the, the airline routed me through this way. That didn't, was, I'm not even leaving the airport. No, you have to. So, yeah, that was a long, long day. And I was basically treated like a, they took my passport, which is always a scary oh, thing. That is scary. When yeah. you see your passport, walk away. You're just like, oh, who's That's who's fair. that person? Who? Why are they taking it? And because it's like you have no, you're a man without a country. Then without your papers, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. I carry. I I don't know about you now, but I I always have a, a photocopy of my passport with me. And if if a cop asks for it, I give them the photocopy, not my passport. Um, and it saved me uh, once, uh, where because they. It's no value to them, right? The yeah. photocopy is no value, but it still has your date, still has your photo, and so on. And I don't remember where I got that advice from, but it's uh, and it, it didn't save us on this trip, but it came in very handy uh, as well. Uh, we got pulled over once in Phnom Penh, uh, Romani and I. Um, he's driving barefoot, goes turns left in an intersection, and, and this cop pulls him over and wants, you know, I guess five bucks or ten bucks or whatever the heck it was. It's kind of, you know, decided on the spot. And I was on my way, no joke, to meet with the Minister of Health uh, because of a project that I was working on with this organization. And so it was classic. So he just hops back in the, the pickup and, and, and basically says, yeah, once once the cop found out we were going to meet with the Minister of Health, he was like, off you go. Yeah. 
well, there's good. it's well it's all about sort of power and hierarchy right you so the big so, name that's nice oh yeah oh yeah yeah that's gonna play continue to play for a few more years i think uh, there uh, but but maybe not uh, not forever so have most of uh, most of your trips been Asia, or have you done like South America? And uh, you said yeah, you have done in Africa, little, but little, little bit in South South America. So so um, not not a ton. Um, Elizabeth and I had a wonderful tenth anniversary. We went to Costa Rica, and would, we we were in a really remote location in a beautiful little resort off the beaten path, and just a wonderful time. That was kind of interesting. I forgot about that experience in my rearview mirror with a guy watching a guy. I rented a car and watching a guy pull a handgun out of his shirt and shooting into the air. I have no idea what was going on, but we just kept going. Uh, that wow. was kind of a creepy experience. I'm sure there was something at play. There was a car over on the side of the road. It was, yeah, yeah, a little troubling. So pl- plenty of times, I guess, in, in over the years where I felt a little off or a little unsafe. I have a rule that I don't want to arrive anywhere at night anymore because that I, I like to see what I'm living around. So if I get into a little boutique hotel, I want to know if there's a big yard behind me or if it's water or or what's beside me and if you arrive at night i just i don't know about you but i just feel vulnerable um um yeah 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 yeah, yeah you I don't re- have a choice but sometimes you don't have a choice uh with uh, spent spent a few nights in ubud in in bali uh, I've been a, there. Few, a few years back you've been to ubud yeah yeah, quite a place, right? And beautiful spot. And but we arrived at night, and it was a three and a half hour uh, boat ride over from uh, Lombok. I was not feeling well, feeling really sick, actually nauseated. We get into a car, diesel fumes, the whole works. We finally make it to this place. It's late. I swear to you, I thought we were going to be dead by the morning. I, th- I mean, the guy takes us down the pathway. There's no light. Um, <laughs> we're going right. to one of the shacks in the back of the in the back of this hotel boutique hotel and uh, there's no lock on the door there's a, a cockroach the size of a shoebox in our room i'm like what what am i doing <laughs> what am i doing here <laughs> and we you know we survived it was fine and, and you wake up I, you look outside there's this beautiful rice paddy it's and- beautiful spot just absolutely stunning and it was wonderful and we had a great time and you know it's it's about trust it's about fear it's about perspective and and it's about being out of you know your comfort zones and i think that that is a part of what travel's all about it seems to me any scary flights or uh, travel stories no no as i get I, as i get older though i'm i i, I already I feel, know you're not eating we know that yeah i that's right yeah i i feel um hmm. I, I i feel the tension of getting on a plane that this could be my last trip you know, and and I, is that really? because you I'm feel one? That every time? Well, um, yeah, maybe not just on a flight to Winnipeg or Ottawa, but you know, a 15-hour <laughs> flight to Hong Kong. You know, um, just really conscious about checking for the life jacket as soon as I sit down, uh, making sure my belt is on pretty much at all times. Did you hear about this recent turbulence on Air Canada? This flight that dropped out of nowhere and 37 people were injured. I mean, yes. it sounds crazy. I always Sounds tell people you got to wear that seatbelt when you're sitting, or else yeah. you know if you're not, you'll rock it right up, and you know people break their neck hitting the ceiling. No kidding. Yeah. Um, so so you know what? Um, it's really kind of interesting how how the memories do come back. Uh, I can't think of the airport right now or where we were going to land, but it was Johannesburg. It was foggy, and we were landing, and all of a sudden the the plane is pulling back up, 
and the pilot comes back on and it's something about it's too much fog uh and uh it's one of those where you go gee maybe we were a little closer than we thought yeah <laughs> you know what i mean and they ended up landing in a in a neighboring country and i can't think of the name of it right now but it was significant enough that we had to go somewhere else didn't really get the full story and then we ended up flying back and you know it was like 45 minutes away. Durban I think was the name and yeah. about 45 minutes later or something like that we landed uh, uh, in Johannesburg and you know all was good uh, you know three four hours later um, but the, yeah that was that was kind of scary that was kind of a scary experience but again nothing 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 too serious mostly just inconvenience I don't know yeah. about you but I just I can't handle all the lineups anymore <laughs> and it's you know uh, you, really another security check are you kidding me oh ethiopia was one after another it was just like it, another line and then after another line and then another line how about you do you do you like i, I get into a, a a mode where uh I, i'm checking for my wallet like six seven times a day like you get into this thing where you just oh yeah no i can feel the wallet still in my bag it's there or it's in my <laughs> right it's just oh man it, How so you been so i think no, oh, no, good. no, not well, not to my knowledge. No, nothing, nothing. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I think I've been I've been incredibly, incredibly fortunate um, in my in my travels. And most of the time, a couple of those rules I think have really helped. And and getting connected to some people locally, you know, the tuk tuk drivers, getting to know a few people at a couple hotels, and getting to know a tour guide or two. And and always, you know, another rule I have is, you know, you get that tuk tuk driver the first night, tip him really well. So you know he's looking for you the next morning. Oh, that's a good and, good tip. Yeah, and it's it's really not it's not that hard. Err on the side of generosity, you know. It's 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 not it's it it'll, it goes when a long it's like way. Like the matter of a two dollars. Well, it, it, exactly right. You know, which we don't um, think about, but to them, it's like, ooh, hey. In in some cases, it's it's pretty darn significant. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, bringing it back closer to home now. Uh, you won't believe this, but I've never been to Toronto. Oh, come on. I know. Can you believe and that? You're, and you call yourself a world I know. I've been, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I've been to Vancouver many times. I've been to Calgary, Edmonton. I've been to Banff. I've been wow. to uh, Whitehorse, Yukon. I've been to oh. PEI. This is, this, is an, this is an outrage. My temperature's rising, Mike. Been to Montreal. I know. So, as someone who's never been, give me uh, things I must do in Toronto. Well, there's the classics, right? I mean, well, you got the needle, the big space, you you know, got, the space, yeah, the space, space needle. needle. That's right. <laughs> the space needle. How Niagara Falls of you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so CN Tower for sure. Uh, things like that. But I think you know a couple things. Theater. The, you know, if you've got time, the theater um, uh, um, um, circuit in in Toronto is there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. That's kind of off. You know, we don't have a Broadway here, but we've got some pretty high end theater. Yeah. There's some really neat things going on. I mean, even in the magic community, there's some really cool things that are going on. You know, Matt Pissarro, he could he could fill you in more on that. So you know, explore some of that off off the beaten track kind of thing. I mean, certainly. Certainly, TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, is just 
I love it, and it's a world-class event, and it's it's really is an audience kind of a festival, and it's it's a lot of fun, and it's just it's kind of cool to see how the the city just sort of changes in that that two-week period. Um, that you know, Center Island is kind of a cool spot too. The last couple of years, it's been not as um, um, warm and welcoming. It's they've they've suffered from some some flooding, but it's a it's just it's beaches and um, um, there's a theme park there and a frisbee golf spot and so a lot of great parks um, and a lot of great food in in Toronto that is for sure you want to visit the Danforth you want to walk uh, down Blue or West Village I mean there's some there's some cool spots you got to do Queen Street lot lot lots to do in Toronto that's for sure and a pretty pretty eclectic welcoming and and I think I think welcoming city I mean I have heard people say Toronto's <laughs> not that but but I I think it's a pretty inclusive town you got any good Winnipeg jokes? <laughs> everybody, um, everybody had something to say about Winnipeg. Everybody, I think. Known... I think my joke about Winnipeg is that I have nothing to say about Winnipeg. <laughs> it's a really cold place. Yeah. That's what I remember. Yeah, I just remember it being uber cold. I was there when I was sixteen, many, many years ago, and Air Canada went on strike, and I had to take a train home, and I wasn't happy about it. Oh, I bet. Now I was. Uh, I used to cover. I was a sports writer out out of school. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I knew it was right around the time when the Winnipeg Jets moved to Phoenix. So any guys I knew uh, who's covered hockey, they were the most happy guys when they got that news. It's like, wait a minute, we never have to go back to Winnipeg? And now the <laughs> Jets are back. But, you know, it's like at the time there went because they all had a story about Winnipeg getting snowed in, that it was oh, this sure. barren outpost with nothing to do, all that. So... They all had some Winnipeg story. Yeah, that's that's like a really welcoming. That would be like a tourism one-liner, right? Barren outpost Baron with nothing outpost. to do. <laughs> with nothing to do. Come that'll see bring, igloo. That's right. That'll bring in the tourists. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, what's the next uh, trip for you? Yeah, don't know. I might I might actually be be uh, heading to Spain for a couple of days uh, later in the fall, uh, uh, and or possibly going to Myanmar. So, wow, uh, the, the country formerly known as Burma. I yeah, I've never been. I've been wanting to yeah, go, but I heard that they, is, they closed up again. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think you know one of the one of the beauties. By the way, can I do a little shout out for my podcast? Fate, sure. Fate, face to face live.ca i mean one of the one of the things uh, i i get to do is interview documentarians filmmakers and and i just recently interviewed uh, karen um uh, polson and she's made a film on the inside of a military dictatorship and she had direct access to Aung Sun Suu Kyi, the, the prime minister. And it's really quite an interesting film and, and quite disturbing on, on some levels to your point about closing, you know, closing down. Um, it's a pretty interesting place for sure. And connected to that whole Southeast Asian, um, it's one of the Southeast few Southeast Asian countries I haven't visited. Me so too. Me too. yeah. Yeah. So that's a possibility, uh, just because of a project that I'm, uh, um, I'm connected to, but, um, yeah, and I need to get back to Cambodia probably before the end of the year, or at least that's my hope. Right. Uh, working on a working working on a film about a former Khmer Rouge soldier, and uh, I hope that you're going to hear about it in the next year or two. And and we want to be, if all goes well, we're going to be done by December, rough draft, and it's going to be in the festival circuit in 2020. Well, I was interested to find out. I'm always interested to see what countries and people. How they how they respond 
after tragedies, you know, and mm-hmm. genocides and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I just I just toured the Rwanda one, and it's it's only twenty five years, but it's remarkable how much they've uh, come around and survived right. that horror horror. You know, and when you look at Cambodia and the killing fields in the seventies, and there's a, what like twenty million people died or something like that. Uh, well, it's so yeah, it's not that many, but it's still it was about thirty percent of the population. I mean, it was right. a significant amount of people. Yeah, when you look at it statistically, it's out, uh, it's out of out of the park. Um, on on, yeah, yeah, and that's find that the people will talk about it, or they won't, or oh, they want to forget yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both um, because I think you also have. Um, um, some folks just kind of hoping some of that stuff, you know, ultimately goes away, right? For you know, uh, maybe maybe not forgive, but but let's forget at least. But there is definitely a um, large group of uh, people who are willing to talk about. It. I mean, you you can't really meet anyone who hasn't been affected by 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 that that time you know i mean the 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 bombings the american bombings late 60s they went into a five-year civil war they went into the khmer rouge 10-year civil war right up until 89 the khmer rouge were in the un until 1993 it's just insane up until 99 when i was in 99 or 97 when paul pot died but anyway it's it's everywhere i mean you know i mean this was a country that had like 136 uh, secret prisons and mass graves all over the place and they're still finding bodies and and still covered kind of in unexploded ordnance. I was working on a project and we had to have it demined and we, we found mortars and ammunition. I mean, it's, it's still in some respects a, a bit of a mess. So it's, it's hard not to come across it. And, you know, you meet people who are in their fifties and sixties and you, you just, you look at the face and you go, wow, they've, they've seen a few things. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and probably lost, almost undoubtedly lost family members. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, the Rwanda story versus the Cambodian story, very, very different in, in many, many respects. Uh, you know, you look at Thailand and, 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 and how prosperous Thailand has been and how, how, um, how um, hmm, in some respects, uh, b- b- behind the times, and sorry, and in some respects, I was going to use the word dysfunctional, but that's not fair. But, the, you know, the even looking at something as simple as rice yield in Cambodia versus in Thailand and the differences and the deforestation and, and, and the challenges in the education system and the health system and so on, it's, it's all connected to that time. Yeah. And it's just it's it's astounding, Mike. It's it's heartbreaking on one level, and and I think this is where you know almost full circle back to your Chinese uh, question. You know, will this kind of infrastructural development and so on actually help the country in the long run, or or just make things worse? So, I mean, I I believe you know, and this is part of the reason why I started you know filming, wanting to make this movie with this former Khmer Rouge soldier, that folks, people, all people need to, you know, all of us <laughs> need to talk, need to have a conversation, need to get our stories out. And, and, and through that comes, you know, some kind of healing uh, of, you know what I mean? Of yeah. one kind or another. And, and isn't that what comedy is about? Sure. I mean, don't you get up on stage, you tell stories, you make me laugh and you help me come to terms with some of the own, my own contradictions and paradoxes and, and inconsistencies in my life and the political system. And you help me not only blow off steam, but, but actually... I might walk out of there thinking in a, in a new way. And I think that's really quite yeah. a wonderful thing. Well, it also could be just me being needy. 
<laughs> we haven't okay. ruled that out. There, there. Yeah, let's not rule that out. That's very funny. So, yeah, that's if, hilarious. Um, but I've asked people who do uh, charity work and humanitarian work and around the world that when you travel enough, I've been to over a hundred countries now. Mm-hmm. Um, that wow. the problems of the world, you, you know, they're massive. Mm-hmm. But uh, how do you keep your spirits up and going to work every day, knowing that the problems are so huge, especially with now climate change and things like that. Yeah. How do you, how do you keep getting out of bed and going, you know, fighting the good fight when you're thinking, man, it's a drop in the bucket. How do you, how do you keep positive? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think, I, I mean, I think it's a layered response and I think, um, I think every day is a little different to be honest with you. You know, so I, I'd say seven out of 10 days, I feel like I am making a difference that, that the world is a better place because of the work that I'm doing. And, and, and then three out of those 10, I just, what, why am I bothering? What's, what's the point? I read the, I read BBC news this morning. There's no point. Right. Um, you know, capitalism is going to rule and it will save the day and, you know, um, microeconomics and, and, and so on. But, but I think, I think it has to do with the community you, you place yourself in and you surround yourself with. And I think that commiserating with people who are not just like minded, but who are, um, working towards similar goals, you know, so maybe other NGO workers or, or, or authors or, or, or comedians or philosophers, people who are, who are, who are, who are trying to move the needle in one way or another and sharing some of those stories and being able to celebrate that with others, I think is, a, is, is key for me, uh, um, as staying focused and, and staying connected and, and realizing that we are making a difference because we really are, man. I mean, we're making a difference for good or for ill, <laughs> yeah. right? So, so why not just turn up the, turn up, turn up the volume a little bit and, 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 uh, and go a little deeper. And I, I think that, um, yeah, it's not, it's, I mean, you've, you've, you've definitely touched an interesting subject cause I think there's a, a pretty high level of burnout in the field. You know, because sure. it it is pretty hard. I mean, extreme poverty is going to be here tomorrow. Uh, it's not ending anytime soon, but we definitely can close that gap. And and the data s- says it, and people say it. Uh, the it's things are getting better. You know, and they kind of in some respects look like they're getting worse, but but uh, they re- they really are getting better. That's good to hear. All right, we can end on that then. So there actually, you go. Wow, you can, that's uh, get your plugs in now. Way too positive note to end on, Mike. I mean, come <laughs> on. My only real plug is is face-to-face-live.ca, and that is where you can find, uh, I guess, I think I, I'm going to be publishing my 450th interview coming up in the very near future. Wow. Um, yeah, I publish weekly. And, uh, and davidpecklive.com, uh, you can find out a little bit more about my writing and, and speaking. And I have written a book, by the way, called Real Change is Incremental. So that is out there. And you can get that online uh, through Amazon, and and uh, you can get an. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, the the franchise rights alone on my book are going to make me rich beyond my wildest dreams, Mike. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 flying off the digital At shelves. Any let moment, me tell you, uh, those, that's those right. royalty checks will be coming in. <laughs> that's that's right. I get a few of them a year, and it's just hysterical to 
see how small they are when they come in. Oh, but uh, but the book sells from time. You know when the book sells, it's when I'm speaking and yeah. I sell. You, you sell know, some merch. You gotta, That's right. Sell sell a bit of merch. So yeah, real change is incremental. Uh, DavidPeckLive.com. But most importantly, sign up for my web uh, my my newsletter, FaceToFaceLive.ca. Check out the podcast. Share it with a friend. And uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on the show, man. Had a blast. No, this is fun. And if I'm ever in Toronto, I'll uh, look you up. We'll go out. We'll uh, we'll get Matt on board. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll go check it. We'll go check out the Space Needle. Yeah, the Space Needle, and uh, you know, see. I don't know what else you do. Rush. We'll go see them. <laughs> we'll go see Rush. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, hold on, who's who's going to be opening for them? Um, uh, Triumph. Yeah, Triumph, yeah, and I, then Brian Adams, and uh, the guess who? Maybe we'll that's be. right. <laughs> it's nice to meet you, man. Yeah, real pleasure meeting you digitally, and look forward to to hanging out in the in the near future. David Peck, everybody. Thanks, Mike. Lady.